This podcast is sponsored by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Stick around for more at the end of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to The Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Carl Truman. And uh, it is great to be with you here today. Um, I was just talking uh, to Carl a a moment ago about the glories and the wonders of being uh, in the PCA over against being in that old, stodgy, um, you know, cranky OPC that Carl seems to thrive in. Very short conversation, I have to say. We covered the wonders in about ooh, five seconds, something like that. <laughs> well, it's funny, Carl, because you know you you have said before, and, and rightly so, um, that you know you and the OPC, you have your problems, you have your issues, and one of these days, I, I want to do a program where we really yeah. delve into that. I want to know the inside track. Well, I, on I the can OPC. tell you. Our major problem is that we're so great. The temptation to pride is almost overwhelming. I, yeah, I, I, I assumed that that was one of them, uh, no doubt. That's the burden we have to bear, man. That's a cross right. the PCA. You being mm-hmm. the PCA, you don't have to bear that one. That's yeah. Now, I will say, maybe, Carl, you have not had this experience, but I will say that I've encountered a few crazy people from the OPC as well. I don't know if you ever have, but apparently you should there not are. Take, do not take Cruella de Vil as typical of the kind of person we have in the OPC. Cruella de Vil, our producer, is nice and mild compared to some of the crazies in the OPC I've met. But that's a program for another day. Today, um, I want to talk, we want to talk a little bit about the PCA. Let me say I am a grateful PCA pastor. I love my PCA church. Um, I am fortunate and blessed to be Uh, the pastor of a wonderful PCA church that God has been very, very kind to. And I have a lot of wonderful brothers um, in the PCA, and uh, we we love our denomination and are grateful for it. However, um, uh, you know, if if you're at all familiar with uh, things going on within uh, conservative Presbyterianism in the United States, you know that there are controversies. There's always controversies in denominations, and the PCA is not immune to controversies. Uh, There are certain divides and tensions that we are dealing with and concerns that we are looking at and wanting to resolve in a way that will be for the glory of God and for the good of of his church. We we have a guest today um, who will uh, be known to uh, some of our listeners. He is uh, one of the hosts of PresbyCast, which... You know, let's be honest, it's no mortification of spin, but they do a good job. They do a good job. I mean, we're, we're proud of them. And so, but Brad Isbell is, uh, is our guest. I've, I've had the privilege in it, and it's fun to be a guest on, on PresbyCast, and they've been kind enough to let me on uh, a few times. And, uh, and we've asked Brad to be on to talk about 
some things in the PCA. To let you know, Brad is a, is, is a layman in a, in a PCA church, has been for many years. Um, again, he's the proprietor of, of Presbycast podcast, which is worth your time to listen to, I would add. Add it to your, to your selection of podcasts. And I, I want to talk with Brad about a couple of different things, about some of these um, controversies and tensions within our denomination, as well as one thing that, that he and I are both enthusiastic about and encouraged about in terms of a means for helping more and more ruling elders within our denomination to uh, to be actively involved. But Brad, uh, welcome to Mortification of Spin. Glad you're on with us today. Well, I'm glad to be here. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm surely the least significant guest you've ever had. <laughs> oh, um, no, 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 no. We've had far less significant people than you, Brad. Well, and, you, and you, you know, professional podcaster, you miffed the introduction. <laughs> I'm not just a layman. I'm an elder. You knew that, but you didn't say. I apologize. Say yes, I I know you're an elder. Paul probably like. still calls talks about lay elders, which always kind of <laughs> irritates me when I went. No. A ruling elder, uh, Brad is an elder and has been for a while. And and actually, uh, uh, we have a number of different uh, common friends. Uh, and uh, uh, Brad, as I mean, you and I correspond fairly regularly um, about various things going on in the PCA. And uh, just recently, there's been a few things that have caught some, uh, some, some national attention uh, connected to our denomination. Um, Eric Erickson, the, uh, the, the well-known uh, political uh, commentator and uh, uh, blogger and PCA layman, uh, recently wrote an article where he expressed some concern. It was not a shrill, set-your-hair-on-fire kind of article, but he expressed some concerns about some trajectory, maybe I'll put it that way, trajectory issues uh, that he sees in the PCA. And you all on Presbycast had him on as a guest. Um, I wonder if you just share with us a little bit about some of the concerns that, that Erickson was raising. And again, this matters because Erickson has a national platform and was expressing some of the very things that not a, not a few people uh, in the PCA or seeing what was kind of encapsulate what Erickson is seeing and, and what causes him con- some concern. Well, I think he's uh, concerned about the, what we might call the woke trajectory. Um, mm-hmm. That may not be a fair term to apply to uh, a lot of what's going on in the PCA, but it's, there are parallels between what's going on in society. Uh, we've seen this Really, I mean, I didn't, I'd never heard the word woke until late 2014 or uh, early 2015, uh, the time of the, the Ferguson um, right. uprising, for want of a better term. And I immediately began seeing um, a figure or two in the PCA who were, uh, well, their talking points and their, you know, their shout outs and their vocabulary mm-hmm. uh, were so similar to what we were hearing on, on the streets. Uh, right. Some of those figures were embraced. Uh, by leaders in the denomination, or maybe uh, maybe leaders is not the the right influential word. pastors for sure. Yeah, and certainly quoted in Christianity Today and and mm-hmm. things like that. So that's what got my attention. Um, but here, five years later, uh, it's 2020, and mm-hmm. things are insane, and we see uh, the mainstreaming of uh, what we might call woke culture, uh, corporate, you know, in the corporate world. Um, mainstream media, uh, uh, big networks uh, espousing these things or bringing people on that that have these same emphases. And when we see the very same thing in the church or what looks like the very same thing, 
uh, it, it, it alarms people. I mean, Eric Erickson is a, is a layman in, in the PCA, and he hasn't studied this as much as we have. But I think it's sort of a when there's smoke, there's fire sort of thing. And he's not the only one to note this. Um, Miles Smith, friend of ours who's been on the show, he had an article hot on the heels of the Erickson article. Uh, that was in the American Conservative. So there's a mainstream conservative publication. Right. And uh, and since then, uh, you know, your friend Rod Dreher uh, mm-hmm. is, and of course, he's using it as emblematic of a, of a larger shift. Uh, he was right. talking about progressive Christianity, but and, and meaning uh, real, the real thing, you know, um, something more akin to liberalism. I often get in trouble for, for saying um, that uh, there are no theological liberals in the PCA, and I don't think there are. Uh, our situation is not analogous to the early 20th century, the Presbyterian right. controversy, the time of Machen, but there are some parallels, and mm-hmm. some people don't like to hear that, and I get in trouble for for even implying it or having friends or guests or retweeting people who do have those convictions. But, you know, I'd be interested to hear what how Carl views this as a, as a non-PCA guy. You and I sort of know the lingo, but uh, Carl, I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, it's there are a number of factors. Some of some of which are sort of peculiar to me. One, I'm an I'm an immigrant, and I grew up in a very different kind of society and culture. So specifically on the race issue, uh, the way I think is is very much a sort of class based. If if there was a sort of struggle in in my country back home over injustice, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, tended to carve up along class lines. I don't think when I was growing up we used the uh, uh, we didn't use the sort of the lingo of wokeness. Uh, we didn't use the language of, of inclusiveness, that kind of thing. We had that sort of concept. And generally what it tended to mean in Britain was the inclusion of more working class and state school people at places like Oxford and Cambridge. You know, I was a state school guy, got into Cambridge. I was an example of, of sort of expanding inclusion, if you like. So the race thing is is very different here. And I'm, I'm conscious that as a foreigner and an immigrant, it's a delicate thing to, to sort of touch. I, I think my concern with, with wokeness is the vagueness of the term. Uh, it seems that it's deployed very rhetorically and very polemically by both sides. It's, it's, it can be a positive or a negative term, depending which side you're on. Uh, I wish that we could find some sort of more nuanced vocabulary that allowed us to talk about some of the, the bad things that go on in society without it becoming immediately a kind of them and us uh, situation. So that's my sort of general background. When I look at the PCA, I think, uh, again, forgive me because I'm going to sound, I'm gonna <laughs> sound like a condescending OP guy. <laughs> I don't mean that. No, it does seem it. to me that the PCA is a more American denomination in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that strikes me as a big difference between American evangelicalism and British evangelicalism is American evangelicals have this deep-seated notion that they own the country or should own the country. And that's why they're always telling each other left and right how they should vote, this kind of thing. It it seems to me as an outsider that there's a little bit more of that in the PCA than I find in the OPC, which Mm -hmm. is 
for historic reasons, we tend to perhaps err too much the other way. We're, we're so frightened of touching anything that might smack of politics or the social gospel. We, we keep completely out of those things and of almost a sort of pietism. So yeah. what, what's manifesting itself seems to me something that was inevitable in the PCA, given the breadth and the kind of American evangelical underpinnings of it. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, we're not a monoculture, and because we're so large, I think we're going to have more problems and more uh, diverse range of problems. Yeah. But what, I mean, that, but what, that raises the question of Presbyterianism in the sense that yeah, it was designed in Scotland for a tiny little country. Can it work efficiently on an entire continent? You know, America is huge. Yeah. Uh, and the PCA is this, you know, we're, we're a small denomination of 30,000. You have 300,000. It's a vast. Presbyterianism was never designed for this size and this number of people, I don't mm -hmm. think. Well, I mean, the, the PCUSA in the, in the 20s, I mean, they had what, uh, probably two million members two million or, yeah or more and and of course they had synods which is a a level between uh local presbyteries and general assemblies they were dealing with it that way but they weren't really dealing with it because they had a centralization of power they had a lot of money they had the rockefeller money involved mm -hmm. um you know woodrow wilson for goodness sakes was a was a pcusa ruling elder and um he was not really about the localism <laughs> i don't right. think um right. So there is that question, is the PCA too large? Um, some people would say no. I think a lot of people forget how little the OPC was when it started, how few people went with Machen and how their, their growth was painful and slow. Uh, PCA has always been, you know, I was at a presbytery meeting yesterday and a pastor said, um, the PCA members are the second most wealthy of all Christian churches in the USA. Well, I looked it up. That's not exactly right. We're probably the wealthiest uh, per capita of conservative Protestants, but there are several mainline denominations and, and uh, Jewish people and Unitarians right. that are more wealthy than we are. But we do have, as you mentioned, Carl, that expectation that people are going to listen to us and that we've got something to say to the culture and the country. And um, it's the vestiges of the, uh, you know, the respectable tall steeple uh, Southern Church where, uh, you know, it was the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians who ran things. You know, they were the lawyers, the doctors, the mayors. And even though we have fewer of that type of people, we have people who fancy themselves to be cultural influencers or, or city transformers, as you mm -hmm. all know. And um, so it's still there. The ethos is, uh, is more similar than dissimilar to the way it might have been 50, 60 years ago. Of course, we came out of the PCUS, the old Southern Mainline Church, some people say we're responsible for everything that they did wrong, uh, but I think we've we've also just imbibed a more general ethos from them. Yeah, and it's and it's very difficult, and it is so counterintuitive for Americans, and probably not just Americans, but certainly Americans, so counterintuitive to say, you know what, let's get smaller. That that goes against every grain of our being, it seems, and particularly. If you come out of a Baptist background, like half the membership of PCA churches have. <laughs> Probably two-thirds. Yeah. Or two-thirds, right. Um, you know, the idea that, you know what, we're just too big. Let's start splitting this up. Yeah. just if, seems crazy. If you think you own the country at some level, the whole notion of being a pilgrim people is profoundly mm -hmm. alien to the way you think. Uh, right. And, and the larger you are, what, once you start 
once you once you grow in size, and and, and the PCA went through tremendous growth uh, in the '90s and early 2000s because you had so many Baptists joining PCA churches, and with that explosive growth, you know, there's this there's this tendency to think, okay, now we're big enough to really change things. Now we can really influence. Now we can really transform the city and change the culture and. And, and those kinds of things. And I, and I wouldn't argue that the presence of Christians should not have an impact on the culture. But you know what I mean? Is the, is the hermeneutic one where before concerns about worship and the glory of God is, is the driving purpose of, well, first and foremost, we're here to, to create a new city or to transform uh, the culture. And so numeric growth just is a part of the recipe for that, an essential part of the recipe for that. So it would require a rethinking of some of our presuppositions in the PCA. Before we can transform the culture, though, we need to transform the PCA. And uh, Brad, uh, you're here to tell us about this this thing I've never heard of. Uh, more, can you can you give us? This is a great of, thing. A Thirty second uh, take on what more is and what you hope to do through it. Well, more in the PCA. Uh, formed by a friend of mine, Charlie Nave, up in, uh, in Virginia. In my presbytery, by the way, my That's presbytery. Right. Uh, yeah. and he's, a, he's a nonprofit lawyer, so he knows how to do these things. Uh, he formed this organization basically um, to try to correct an imbalance in the PCA, uh, which is largely uh, the courts, meaning the presbyteries and the General Assembly, are dominated numerically um, by teaching elders. Uh, that would be pastors. Uh, they're not all pastors of churches. A lot of them do things like teach in seminary or um, uh, they're in youth uh, college ministry, missionaries, parachurch ministries, uh, things like that. But generally, the, the ratio is somewhere between uh, three to one and four to one. Uh, usually about, I think I did a study, around 21, 21 or 23 percent ruling elder participation at the General Assembly uh, has been the norm for the past decade or so. And um, we believe that uh, Presbyterianism, to work properly, uh, should have uh, a good representation of the different uh, elders and churches in the denomination. It's very expensive because um, because we've done a bad job with funding, uh, planning, um, but a lot of the, the expenses of the headquarters are, are derived from uh, General Assembly registration fees. Hey, and Brad, tell everybody, tell everybody what typically a ruling elder can expect to spend uh, if, if he's going to go to GA? Well, if you were from a church, a little church, that, that couldn't afford to send you, and, and if you wanted to go, you'd pay your own way. By the time you paid, um, if you had to pay airfare, and we do meet all over the country, though generally in the southeast, if you had to pay airfare and the $450 registration fee and lodging and walking distance to the uh, convention hotel where the, where the General Assembly is held, I mean, you're looking at fifteen hundred dollars minimum. Mm-hmm. Uh, could be more. Yeah. I mean, you could spend two thousand. And um, you know, does that, that include does that include the ticket to Disney World when you're in Florida? I <laughs> seem to remember you met there one year. Uh, they did <laughs> meet in Orlando once. That was a little before <laughs> my time, but um, okay. there, may, there may have been excellent discounts involved. I don't. Know. I had a certain minister text me from one of the rides in Disney World while he was at the uh, General Assembly. Had to be David Hall. It wasn't David Hall. Okay. I, I would not want to grass up Bill Barkley on air, so I won't mention his name. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> so, so keep going with that. So what we're, we? we're, we're trying to make it easier to help for uh, ruling elders from small churches 
um, to go and to participate. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a full week. It's a, it's a lost week of vacation. So if all your expenses are paid, if you make $52,000 a year and you burn a week of vacation, that's a, that's a thousand dollars by itself. Uh, I don't know of any churches that actually remunerate. It's a hard word to say. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they're ruling elders for lost wages. Um, it's important to remember that most pastors who go, I mean, that's a work week for them. They're getting paid right. to be there, plus their expenses are paid. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in many cases, churches just, uh, they sort of forget to um, budget, or you have ruling elders that don't have the interest. Um, I quoted in an article I did for the Aquila Report recently, a passage from, oh, something from the late 1800s, and it, it was talking about the responsibility of ruling elders to show up at the courts of the church, all of them. But also built into our um, our book of church order, there are the words that say it's the responsibility of the church to pay for the, the elders to attend. So there's failure at a personal level with ruling elders. There's a failure at the church level with churches not pony, you know, uh, stepping up and uh, doing the right thing. Um, there's a there's also a failure at the denominational level for not planning better, not making it cheaper uh, for just anybody to go. Yeah. A lot of hurdles. Right. And, and Brad, you know, interested churches and, and REs can, can go to the, to, to the website for more in the PCA and, and actually apply for financial assistance, which is being donated. You know, you guys are raising these funds so that uh, pastors or, or I'm sorry, ruling elders from, from these smaller churches uh, can apply for some financial assistance. Correct. Yes, and we've also got on. There's also an overture coming before the uh, the next PCAGA that would lower uh, the ruling elder registration fee. Uh, yeah. That may be a drop in the bucket, but two or three hundred dollars might mean something if you're on the fence. Mm-hmm. And um, th- these have been tried before and uh, narrowly defeated just uh, two or three years ago. But yeah. but uh, we're going to try again. Yeah. Can, can I ask and, uh, a, a question as a sort of outsider? Uh, does every delegate to the General Assembly have a vote? So y- um, are we talking about increasing the number of people who can vote when they go, or, or is it just a delegated number who have a vote? No, every, every teaching elder can go. Any te- if you're an ordained teaching elder in the, in the PCA, you can go to General Assembly and you've got a vote. So... Uh, most churches are limited to two ruling elders. Okay. Uh, really big churches get so many extra per 500 or 1,000 members. I know those numbers don't mean anything to the an OPC guy when I go to three digits. <laughs> yeah, my head's about to explode. <laughs> 500 people in a church? I, yeah. I haven't got a concept right. for that. But the long, right. the long and short of it is if every church sent all their ruling elders there would, and every teaching elder showed up, there would still be a lot more teaching elders. Right. Um, right. So, I mean, some people would say that's a de facto clericalism where um, the the professional ministry class has too much power. I think it's reasonable to say that they're always going to have more uh, more power and, and show up in bigger numbers. But we just like to to make it a little more close mm-hmm. to equal because we think ruling elders actually have something to to add. I mean, they've got real world experience. Mm-hmm. If I could be crass, they've got to, they've got good BS detectors. Maybe that those who live in the bubble of uh, full-time ministry, you know, professional Christians, maybe don't have. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we're wrong about that. But but most, um, you know, the Overtures Committee, which it really does have half ruling, half teaching elders, they tend to be, um, they tend to usually get it right. 
And I think that's an indication that more ruling elders would uh, right. would help. Right. And, you know, just I would say that that the laity um, in our PCA churches need to know that there are some in our denomination who don't want to see more ruling elders attend GA and, vo- and vote in GA. I'm, I'm among those who want to see more ruling elders for the reasons that Brad has outlined. And um, if you just look at the, histo- the, the history of denominations in the 20th century in the United States, um, one of the things that you will typically see uh, among those denominations that have fallen into liberalism and have declined is a, a very much centralized power, clericalism, and, and less direct involvement from the laity. And so we don't want to address this when we are so far down the road that nothing can be done. We want to address it now when, when hopefully there can be a, a good and appropriate impact. So, I mean, is that pretty accurate, Brad? Oh, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people hate the slippery slope argument. But um, I think uh, to argue against the slippery slope is to argue against gravity. And right. that's to ignore history. And uh, I think Carl knows a bit about uh, church history, and um, it, it generally, uh, it may not repeat, but it does rhyme, and uh, yeah. we're trying to do better. Well, it's been great to have you on the program, Brad. Brad Isbell is a ruling elder in the PCA and a host of Presbycast, uh, a salty and intelligent wit. Uh, I often say, you know, they, they're only three people who should ever have had Twitter accounts, uh, Martin Luther, Friedrich Nietzsche, and Oscar Wilde. Maybe I'll add Brad Isbell in. Fourth fourth man in that. uh, Turtles Weekly is what I go by. You might enjoy Uh this story, Carl. Um, I hate the phrase, uh, the little, you know, LOL. And uh, I was LOL'd by uh, a member of our church on Facebook when I used to go on there. And I thought, what's the opposite of LOL? And then I thought, barely audible chortle. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, of, of British television. Uh, and, uh, and I love Last of the Summer Wine. Uh, oh, classic, yes. And so, you know, I sort of envision myself as one of those three old men wandering around the Yorkshire uh, moors, uh, you know, bothering bothering old ladies and getting into trouble. And uh, and I thought, what, what would one of those guys call himself? And uh, I thought, well, Chortles Weekly. That sounds like an, <laughs> what, what that guy would be called. Uh, and uh, that that's it. But yeah, Never I'm laugh out loud, just Chortle Weekly. Yeah. I will always think of you as Clegg from now on. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that is the, the image. You're not foggy, and I don't think you're disheveled enough for compo. You've got to be Clegg. Yeah. <laughs> so. he, He's my favorite. He's a, he's a philosopher. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been great having you on the show, Brad. We hope those of you listening have found it helpful. And we would strongly encourage uh, any of you in the PCA to visit our website where you'll find a link to the more website and you'll get access to uh, uh, Brad's program, which will hopefully help to fund more ruling elders attending the PCA General Assembly. You may not be a ruling elder yourself, but if you're in a PCA church, you're in a church which probably has ruling elders. They may not be aware of this program. Please bring it to their attention. Uh, it's, it's great to have all shades of uh, the church 
reflected at a general assembly and ruling elders are extremely important. You might also, uh, if, if after you've contributed to the mortification of spin fund, <laughs> have any spare cash, you might also want to contribute to the more fund as well, as it's clearly doing important work, work that frankly, I'd never never thought of. Being in a biblically Presbyterian denomination, it's not an issue for us. Happy to help the weaker brethren on this one. Uh, In conclusion, I would just thank you all for listening and look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. you can bet old Donner felt pretty bad about the way he had treated Rudolph, and he knew that the only thing to do was to go out and look for his little buck. Mrs. Donner wanted to go along, naturally, but Donner said, No, this is man's work. Sykes! We've all faced unprecedented challenges here of late, and the church has not been immune. Unable to gather, many have drifted away. Still others languish in churches that have forgotten the creeds and confessions that give clarity and focus to our faith. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a reformed awakening in today's church, and we need your help. To be salt and light in a dying world, we need a strong and committed church, equipped with the truth and ready to serve the gospel. Your prayers and financial gifts enable us to produce and deliver solid resources from trusted authors, teachers, and speakers in print, online, at our signature events, and on the air. You will make a difference for today and for eternity when you give online at alliancenet.org donate or call 1-800-488-1888.